0: And the psalmist said, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mightier than any force in this world that comes up against us. And Christians take comfort in those words that the Lord on high is mightier than anything that rises up against us. Can we take comfort in God's word that that is true, that God is true, that God is faithful, and because He is, that we have nothing to fear. Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. I'm going to pray some uh, prayers, some things I've been meditating on, things I've been writing down concerning our church and concerning this year, and we'll do more of this as the month goes uh, by. Uh, So let us seek the Lord in prayer. Father, first, we thank you this morning for the the word that was just read. That you are mightier. You are the mighty God. You are mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea, and that your testimonies are very sure. That means, Lord, that your word is, is true, and we ought to trust in your word. We have to trust in what you say and not what the world says. The world uh, tries to get us to to fear. Uh, uh, The world tries to get us to reject you and reject the truth of your word. Uh, But Father, we know that you are greater and mightier than all the world powers, than all the forces of the world, all the ideologies of the world, all the philosophies of the world. That rise up against your word, Lord. You are mightier. You are stronger. You are stronger, Lord. Let us put our trust in you. Fathers, I pray this morning. I've uh, um, meditating on these things, and these are things that I pray for myself and for our church family uh, this morning. And Father, I pray that you will hear my prayer this morning. And that you will answer it according to your good, sovereign, and perfect will. First, Lord, I pray that you make our life look less like the world. That you make our life look less like the world. That those of us who are believers, that our life is distinct from those who are without Christ. That our lives are distinct from those. Who don't have the hope of Christ in this world. Lord, may our lives stick out like a sore thumb. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to call the world to repentance to Christ. Lord, we're not to be like them. We are to be in the world but not of it. As 1 uh, John uh, the 2nd chapter tells us to love not the world neither the things that are in the world for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. Uh, so Lord we are in this world we are uh, called to live in this world. but Father even as we are in this world we are not to uh, partake in, participate with or to acquiesce or give in to the world's philosophies and, and ideologies and worldviews that stand opposed to your word Lord, we are to stand out as believers. Father, I pray also that you may strengthen our affections for righteousness, to love holiness and righteousness more, to to be more affectionate about being righteous and being holy and not righteousness according to the world standard, but Lord, righteous according to uh, the righteousness that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, a righteousness that leads to a, a holy life, righteousness that leads to a life that is separated and divorced from uh, this world in a sense of not being totally affected by this world. Father, I pray that you cause us to hate our sin even more, to fight against sin, to to struggle with the Spirit's help against sin, to, to put to death sin in our life. Lord literally hate our sin. Not in a uh, self-loathing way, which leads to idolatry and, and self-worship, the Lord, in a in a way that looks up to you. Not self-aggrandizement or, or self-deprecation where we poke fun at ourselves for our, our sinful uh, proclivities, but Lord, that we with earnest uh, with earnestness hate our sin and seek with the Spirit's help to turn away from our sins. Well, I pray that you embolden us to preach the gospel more uh, boldly and publicly, to not be afraid to share gospel truth with with others, with family members, with loved ones, with friends, with co workers when we're able to. Well, we never know who needs to hear the gospel. We can look at a, look at people and assume that <coughs> you know they don't need it, but Father, we uh, that is not in our hands. Lord we proclaim the gospel and lead the saving up to you. Lord I pray that you may humble us that we may glorify you in all that we do to do as Paul commanded in first Corinthians ten and thirty one that and whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Lord I pray that you may allow us to suffer for your name sake. we may perhaps do. That. that's why, uh, First Peter one and uh, First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter and Second Peter are written to, to to write to Christians who are being persecuted, who are, who are suffering. To be encouraged in our suffering, to look to Christ in our suffering, to persevere in our suffering. And Lord, we're living in a increased time where it's not popular to be a biblical Christian, to hold to the truths of the Bible. And Lord, we may actually suffer for believing your truth. We may suffer ridicule and scorn and, and rejection. We may lose our livelihoods for the sake of believing your truth. The Lord allows us to suffer for your name's sake. Father, we also uh, pray that you commit us deeply, more deeply to our local church to, to just keep showing up. And as we show up, that we continue to serve one another, to love one another to pray for one another, to encourage one another to admonish one another in love and we commit more deeply to our local church. Lord, we pray more fervently for people around us and for our own sanctification that uh, we continue to grow in grace that we continue to mature in Christ and mature in our walk with him. Lord, we pray that we may read and meditate daily on your word enough to fuel our interactions with truth. That, Lord, we fight for time to spend in your word. That we fight for that time, Lord. We, we make time for other things, for worldly pursuits which are not in and of themselves sinful. But, Lord, we make time for worldly pursuits. May we make time to read and meditate on your word Father, I pray that you do these things in us and for us and, and many more as we move forward we will continue to find other uh, prayer needs that we need to address as a as a church and as individuals But I pray Lord, that you hear those prayer requests uh, this morning and father I pray for our sister churches that you continue to strengthen those brethren that are leading Our sister churches, as they look forward to this year also with different ministry goals and desires that they have also. That you may be with those men. Persevere them in the faith that is found in Christ Jesus. Persevere them in pastoral ministry. Persevere them as husbands, faithful husbands to their wives and and faithful fathers to their children. Lord, do that for all of us. And Lord, just help us and be with us. In spirit and in truth, and Father, and I pray for the preaching of Your Word, the ministry of the gospel, as we look at uh, Nehemiah the second chapter and look at the servant's guidance and strategy. That You be with us, Lord, that You send uh, Your Spirit to fill me and empower me to preach this text well into Your glory, and Lord, that You send the Spirit to illuminate the truths that we learn in this passage. Uh, today Lord bless us with your word bless us with the gospel encourage the faithful and bring sinners to repentance in Christ's name I pray amen amen praise the Lord amen let us turn to Nehemiah the second chapter we're in our series in the book of Nehemiah as we uh, have on our Uh, Sermon calendar and this sermon is very providential as we uh, look at beginning a um, a new year and uh, may this sermon may the Lord use it to be a uh, blessing to each and every one of you all who hear and I encourage you all to share These sermons uh, with people uh, who you think need to hear it, just a way of encouragement to Christians, and also share it with those who are uh, non Christians, also, that they may be uh, brought to salvation through the Word of God. Amen. We're going to read here the second chapter and then go into our message. Hopefully, you all had a chance to read it ahead of time. this is when Nehemiah was sent to Judah. It says, And it came to pass, excuse me, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So I pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had the army of and horsemen with me when Sam-Blet and uh, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days then I arose in the night I and a few men with me I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode and I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall to the refuse gate and viewed the wall of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no room for the animals under me to pass so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done I had not yet told the Jews the priests the nobles the officials or the others who did the work then I said to them you see the distressed are in. how Jerusalem lies waste and his gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands, they set their hands rather to do this good work. But when Sabalit the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, And Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Man, May the word of the Lord speak. All right, so we just read this chapter here looking at Nehemiah giving his request to the king to go back to Jerusalem and him going back to Jerusalem and seeing that. And so in the context of this passage here, uh, four months have passed since Nehemiah. hears of his people's uh, ruined inheritance and he made his appeal to the Lord. He was the king's cupbearer. But he had a burden for the city of his fathers. He had a burden for uh, Jerusalem. Although he was in a very high and favored place. His heart was still with the people of Jerusalem. Now as the royal uh, cupbearer. He was a person of rank and influence. I mean he literally made sure that the king had good wine to drink. And so he was in a very high position. This is what. This wasn't a a lowly peasant position. This was a very high and noble position that Nehemiah had. So he acted as a bodyguard and as an advisor uh, to the king because kings uh, became uh, very close to their cupbearers because it was a position of trust. And since the hand of the Lord was with Nehemiah, then the king, Artaxerxes, definitely had some trust in him. Because it is his job to taste the king's food to be certain that it is safe to eat. And he, in his job, is also expected to maintain a pleasant countenance because he was serving the king. I mean, just imagine you're serving the king and you're walking around, you know, down in spirit and all those things. I don't think uh, the king would have any good confidence uh, in you. And so that was the case with him. He had to maintain a pleasant countenance countenance at all times show any sadness or any negative emotions uh, gave the risk of suspicion or displeasure and disloyalty to the king. So those who were serving the king, if they show any type of sadness or any type of displeasure, it would make the king suspicious. Okay, the king's uh, red flags will start uh, going up. So for months Nehemiah kept up his appearance of contentment but finally his composure broke he began to look sad in spirit because four months had passed since the fir- what we read in the, in the first chapter where uh, he heard about uh, what happened in Jerusalem that the walls were down and he prayed to the Lord so four months all this has been on his mind so he finally just broke he finally broke down and went to the king. So the big idea as we look at this passage, it focuses on prayer, that prayer equips every Christian for their everyday work, whether in the service of religion or in the service of work by giving them guidance and strategy to accomplish the work. So basically prayer gives us a strategy. Prayer gives us guidance on how to accomplish the work of the Lord. And we're going to see that happen uh, through uh, this chapter in Nehemiah, So we have four principles that we're going to look at uh, today. The first principle is in the first five verses. That Nehemiah was convinced that in every step he was taking, the Lord was guiding his way. Okay, so looking at the first five verses here. We see in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of the king. When wine was before him, and of course Nehemiah had tasted the wine, and uh, Nisan was around March, April, so it was a springtime month. And This was approximately 545 B.C. And so the king asked him, why are you sad or face? Why are you looking sad? Because you're not sick. And he said, this is nothing but sadness of heart. So the king was kind of disturbed by it. And, of course, Nehemiah said that he was what? He was afraid. And he said, let the king live forever. Now, this was a standard greeting. When kings were greeted or, or royalty, they would say, let the king live forever. That was giving praise. Or you all probably heard the phrase, long live the king. That's basically what that is. That's, that's, that's praising the king for who he is. So he was saying, let the king live forever. That was their way of addressing the king he says, why shouldn't his face be sad? Look at my city. The gates are in ruins. The people are in distress. And so the king said to him, what are you requesting? So obviously, uh, Nehemiah's petition had touched the king's heart. And he asked, you know, what do you want? And so what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. After the king asked him, what did he want? He prayed first. And then he gave his petition to the king. So he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, and that I may rebuild it. So every step he was taking, the Lord was guiding his way. Because as the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah was obviously faithful. He was wise, and he was humble. and he had to possess all this in order for the king to trust him as his servant. But most importantly, God was with Nehemiah. That is a thing that we cannot overlook, because you have to understand, Artaxerxes was a pagan king, and here this man of God was serving this pagan king. And God was with him just as he was with uh, Joseph before Pharaoh, Genesis 39, 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And this is Joseph when he was a, uh, serving in Pharaoh's house. The Lord was with him. So we see here in Nehemiah that the Lord was with Nehemiah also. And we can assume that, you know, Nehemiah probably spent the four months between hearing of Jerusalem's ruin and making his request. We can assume that he was praying about his city. He was praying about the Lord's people. He was praying about the state that Jerusalem uh, was in. And this is an encouragement to us as believers that, As believers, we need to be constantly reminded that behind life's little frustration lies a divine purpose. That something can be learned from our most difficult circumstances. Everything in our life happens according to God's guidance. Everything happens according to God's providential care. And what do we do in those times when we're waiting on God? We should do what? Pray. Instead of wringing our hands, you know, being filled with uh, unrighteous and unholy anxiety and worry and distress. Because many times it is ungodly because uh, we begin to lose faith in God and and trust our circumstances, as opposed to trusting God. And, and and instead of praying, we just sit around and just worry and just, you know, just fester, just let it just boil up in us. And then, because of that, we start to have unreasonable and un and, and irrational worry. You know, we begin to think worst-case scenario. You know, we begin to go nuclear with our thoughts instead of just praying to God as we wait. Praying to God as we trust. And that is what we see in Nehemiah. In those intervening four months between the events of the first and second chapter, he most likely prayed to the Lord. And they began to wear on him to the point where he built up enough courage to petition the king because you didn't just walk up to the king, even if you were his servant. You didn't just walk up to the king and just ask him questions. If you remember the book of Esther, Esther had to pray before she went to King Xerxes because her head could have been chopped off. Although she was one of his mistresses. And he laid out his scepter for her to come and go before him. But not everyone who came before the king was extended the scepter. Rather, they were extended the sword because they dared to come before the king. So Nehemiah knew how this king was. So as believers, we must know that in life's little frustrations, such as waiting on God, there's a divine purpose. And that purpose is to bring us closer to him in prayer. And always remember this. I heard a preacher say this one time. Waiting time is not wasted time. That's a nice bumper sticker. Waiting time is not wasted time. Pray. 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 Nehemiah prayed. Before answering the king. Again. It says it here. What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't just. spit off. We don't know how long he prayed. Could have been days. Could have been hours. Could have been. Just those few minutes. The scripture doesn't tell us. But the big idea is that he what? He prayed. He prayed. Nehemiah emphasized the necessity of prayer. He could not face this critical moment in the conversation without once looking to God to meet his needs. He showed the immediacy of prayer that there's no need for us to get away to a particular place or wait until we set aside prolonged time because at any time we can pray to God. The thing about those of us who desire to be more consistent in prayer this year, you know, I, I told my wife that's one of my one of my goals is to be more consistent. Just pray. Don't just wait for the perfect circumstances or the perfect time or the perfect place. Pray, and I used to do that a lot, and I've gotten away from it. I used to pray on my way to work, turn my, my radio off, and just in the quiet of the car just pray to the Lord or pray during my lunch hour You know, or get up 30 minutes early in the morning and pray to the Lord or stay up 30 minutes later or whatever the case may be, just steal away time to pray. Make time to pray. Don't wait for the perfect circumstances because guess what? You, they'll never come. And as we read in our encouragement earlier, Satan is going to make sure that you don't have the perfect time. (laughs) He is a master of distraction. Okay, so we just make the time. Just immediately just pray. I learned this even when I tell people I'm going to pray for them. Hey, can I pray for you right now? Because I know that I'll most likely forget. Sometimes I forget to call my own mom back. So I know if I do that, maybe two or three days later <laughs> that I forget to pray for someone It's okay, I'll pray for you. No, let's just do it right now. Let's. May, may I just pray for you right now? Just the immediacy of prayer because we can just put it off and add it to our list and then all of a sudden we forget what the list is. So Nehemiah demonstrated the immediacy of prayer. At any moment, we can talk to God. When Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, when the writer of Hebrews tells us Uh, about Christ serving us as our high priest and that uh, we can come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need. We can come boldly anytime. There's no time where we can't talk to God. And he showed the naturalness of prayer that he prayed because it was the most sensible and rational thing to do. Nehemiah sought God to guide his way by the means of prayer before he petitioned the king. And don't you know that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he looked to God the Father also to guide his way. We see this chronicle in John uh, 5 verses 19 through 23. He says here, the, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, he's speaking to his disciples. Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but he sees but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he was showing greater works than these that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he will so christ looked to the father to god his way also in his earthly ministry remember he was the god man he was fully god he was fully man and in his humanity he was still god but he still sought excuse me god the father for guidance if christ does it we're not greater than christ right so he gave us that example also john 8 and 28 jesus said When you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. So Christ's earthly ministry was guided by who? God the father. And so we see this example in Nehemiah when he sought God as he began to answer petition of the king which leads to our second principle that Nehemiah testified to the goodness of God in answering his prayer we see this in verses 8 through 10 which reads as follows it says here beginning back at verse 6 the king asked him when he would return and he pleased, pleased the king to send him and he gave him a time And yes, king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beans for the gates. And also for the wall of the city and also for his home. And the king granted what he asked, why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. He testified to the goodness of God answering his prayers. And then so when he gets there verse 9. He came to the governors beyond the region. Guess what God answered his prayer. And gave them the king's letters. And the king sent officers with him and horsemen. And he asked him opposition. But guess what he still made it to where Jerusalem. Why because God answered his prayer. Nehemiah attributed the success of his petition to the good hand of the Lord that was upon him in verse eight. And when things like this happen in our lives, we have to give glory to God because it is him who causes these things to happen. You know, Psalm 30 is one of the great Psalms about the blessedness of answered prayer. It's a very encouraging psalm to read. David says this in Psalm 30. I'm looking at verse 8. He says, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear my prayer, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And then he said at the end, you have turned from me, For me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Why would he give thanks to the Lord? Because the Lord heard him and the Lord answered his prayer. And the Lord turned his mourning into dancing. And Nehemiah, he praised the Lord. He gave attribution to God. Because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. He answered his prayer. God does grant his people favor. And when he does that. We have cause. To praise him. He testified to the goodness of God. And, and I had a side note here. Um, this is not dealing with this principle. But just. Uh, something to. Think about when I was. Looking over this uh, lesson yesterday. uh, Nehemiah had to get letters. In order to travel through the different nations. It said this in verse 7. If it please the king let letters be given to me. To the governors of the uh, regions of province rather. uh, Beyond the river that they may let me pass through. Until I come Judah because he, this was a a long journey and he had to travel through uh, different nations to get to get to Jerusalem I don't know if you thought about this but since antiquity meaning since ancient times nations have had borders and you couldn't just enter a nation without having permission to do so you couldn't just go, to a nation and just enter through their you know enter through their boundaries just whenever you wanted to because it was was very dangerous and and, and, and very dangerous especially for people traveling through this part of the world to go through these different uh, nations so you had to actually get permission just as Nehemiah did uh, to travel through different nations nations had borders and the thought that I had was our, nations ha- our nation has a border. The nations to the north and south of us have what? They have borders. And you have people who advocate for open borders. That uh, anybody should be able to come into the United States no matter what. Without any type of papers or being allowed to come in. That people just come in through our northern or southern a border whenever they want to but we see here in this passage and this was thousands of years ago that nations had borders that needed to be uh, respected but you have people who uh, reject God's order and what God has ordained and what God has willed in his word about each nation having their own sovereignty you know every nation has its own sovereignty and, and these nations that Uh, Nehemiah had to pass through they had their own sovereignty and hey guess what they could allow you to go through or they could say what no you can't go through no you can't enter in no you can't come in and do business and commerce so we see even back in antiquity that nations had borders uh, that everything wasn't just free and open to everyone so that was just a little side note right there but uh, uh, back to uh, the principle here so uh, we see that The goodness of God, it was the goodness of God answering his prayer that the king issued the letters to give to these different nations. It was all because of God's goodness. And Nehemiah gave thanks to the Lord for that. And look, whenever things good happen in our life, even when things good don't happen because it's still in the providence of God that it does or doesn't happen. But when good things happen in our life, our reflex should be is because of God It's because of the good hand of the Lord upon me. It wasn't because of anything that I did. If it was attributed to our wisdom, it was because of the wisdom that God gave us. We should always give attribution to God because he alone is worthy and deserving of all glory. And we see that through. Nehemiah he testified to the goodness of God in answering his prayers in the next principle Nehemiah is a model of good sense piety piety meaning holiness holiness of life and attention to detail so we see this in verses 11 through 17 so he arrives at Jerusalem he stayed there three days and he kind of spied out the land. He didn't let people know that, that he was there. No one, uh, he said, he told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with, with him. He didn't have like an entourage. He didn't have a crew or a posse. <laughs> you know, he just came with himself and an animal. He went by night through Jerusalem. He saw the walls were broken down. He inspected the valley gate, the dragon spring to the you all know what a refuse, refuse gate is not a refuse gate. But a you all know what refuse is, right? Let's just say they didn't have uh, modern day indoor plumbing sewer systems. They had a gate where all of the um, excrement was dumped out it. That's what that was called. the, The refuse gate or the dung gate. So you can only imagine how it smelled back then. I'm not trying to ruin your lunch at the church, but you know, this is this is just the way it was. You know, these cities didn't have they didn't have indoor plumbing back then. You know, it was worse than the outhouse system. So they had a certain gate around the city. and All cities had this. They had a certain gate around the city where they dumped the uh, excrement out of it. You know, from the from man and from animals. You know, so uh, I just wanted to get that little side note there, just, just in case you didn't know. And he inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down again, the fountain gate, the king's pool where animals couldn't pass under. He went by night in the valley and inspected the wall. And he turned back and entered the valley gate. And then he returned. The officials didn't know where he had gone or what he was doing. And he had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or the officials or the rest uh, who were to do the work. And he said to all of them, you see, the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer insult or reproach. So Nehemiah didn't rush into action when he got to Jerusalem. He took approximately three days and spied it out at night. He didn't let anyone know that, uh, what, what he was up to. He didn't want to bring attention to himself. He didn't want to have any half-baked ideas about, you know, how to uh, rebuild the wall. He wanted to strategize uh, first. There's a saying that haste makes waste. Anybody ever heard that before? Haste meaning rushing. When When you rush, you often don't do things right. When you're not patient. Don't we often mess up when we're not patient? when we don't wait that's when we make the worst decisions any impatient people in here don't raise your hand I don't want to shame you (laughs) (laughs) you know how many of y'all say oh I'm struggling with patience you know so yeah we have to deal with patience a lot but haste makes waste doing things hurriedly you can often be very wasteful so Nehemiah was very deliberate he spied out for three days. He made an assessment. Proverbs 19 and 2 says, It is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Many times we can sin, we can make some of the worst decisions by being hasty. So Nehemiah had a deep conviction that the project, this project was not his, but it was the Lord's because it was the Lord's work that he was going to be doing, because it was the Lord's city, it was from God and it was for Jerusalem. See that in verse 12. And this is why he surveyed the wall, that's why he surveyed Jerusalem because he was strategizing. He had prayed, God gave him safe passage, so God answered his prayer. And now he went to Jerusalem, which was about a three-month journey. Then he got there, and he camped out for three days at night, surveying the walls, going to the different gates, seeing what needed to be done. He strategized, and then he finally told the men, let's get to work. Let's get to work. He saw that this work was. Was greater than himself. And I'm going to tell you all this. Those of us who work. You don't work for yourself. You work for the Lord. You are doing the Lord's work. Wherever you are. Sadly many Christians. Don't think that way. We have believed the lie. Of the, the sacred secular. Divide that. Uh, the work that we do on our job is is secular, but all of life is one of worship. All that we do is worship. We either worshiping God or we're worshiping the God of this world, who is Satan, and under that we have the God of self. Whatever we do, we're doing to the Lord. This is what Paul encouraged the Colossian Christians and. Colossians 3. And I prayed this prayer a lot. Bond service obeying all things. Your masters according to the flesh. And in our context. This is a employer. Employee. uh, Context. He says not with our service. As men pleasers. But in sincerity. Of heart fearing. God. And whatever. You do. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to who? Men, you're not working for man, you're working for who? God, you're doing it to the Lord. And that is what we see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is working for the Lord. This work of rebuilding the wall is not about him. It's not about his glory. It is about the glory of God and the glory of God's chosen city, his people so paul says whatever you do do it heartily as to the lord and not to men. why because it is from the lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the lord christ there it is again you're working to the lord you're working for the lord you're working for the lord's glory you're working to please the lord You're working to please the Lord. And that is what Nehemiah is doing. He is doing this for the Lord. He's working for someone greater than him. And the one who is greater than us is the Lord. For him, in his context, it was the God and father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the God of Israel. It was the God of the city of Jerusalem. It was the Lord. And so that's who He's working for. And so that's how we have a sense. Of piety. And attention to detail. It is driven by. Our work for. The Lord and that's what we see here. In Nehemiah. And then our last principle. Nehemiah encouraged others generously. Through the providence of God so. This wasn't a task that he could do on his own look at verse 18 he says and I told them these men the priests the nobles the officials the Jews he says I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me and they said let us what rise up and build so they strengthened their hands for the good work So because the Lord was with them, he encouraged these men, He gave them gospel encouragement. They said, what? Let us rise and build. So he strengthened them. He encouraged them generously by saying that the hand of the Lord was upon him. So he saw the state of the walls. He saw that they were in ruins. He saw that the gates were torn down. But because God sent him on this mission, guess what? That was all the motivation he needed. He was doing the work of the Lord. God was encouraging him. God was motivating him by his spirit. That was all the motivation he needed. That was all the encouragement that he needed. It was good enough. He had the king's permission. He had the king's provision. And why did this matter? Because God had worked in the hearts of the king. He had worked in the hearts of all the others who gave him the wood and all the other materials that he needed to build these walls. And this shows again that God works in the hearts of whomever he pleases to accomplish his sovereign purposes. God can work through pagans. God does work through pagans. God does work through sinners. God does work through those who reject him in order to accomplish his sovereign purposes. It is God who turns the hearts of the king. And so Nehemiah came with that encouragement. He came knowing that God was with him. So how did the people respond? They said, let us what? Rise up and build. It was immediate. They strengthened their hands for the good work. This was a great response to God's providence. This was a great response to God's protection. This was a great response to God's provision. Nehemiah gave them great encouragement to do the work. The hand of the Lord was upon him for good. And it is great encouragement when we know, saints, that the hand of the Lord is upon us. As you go to work every day, the hand of the Lord is upon you. As you go to school every day, children, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Those of us who don't work, even what you do in your home and do in the public, guess what? The hand of the Lord is upon you. That should give you good gospel confidence as you go through your days. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, no matter what opposition you face, no matter what task you are giving, whether in the church or whether in the public square, whether in the home, whether on your job, no matter what it is, the hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of the Lord is with you. The hand of the Lord encourages you. The hand of the Lord encourages perseveres you he gives you strength that is the encouragement that we have that is the encouragement that nehemiah gave these men and in the face of their enemies nehemiah called on the providence of god to prosper them because you see that Sambalit and tobiah spoke against them he says but when Sambalit and tobiah And Geshem heard of it. They jeered at us. They insulted them and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And look at his reply. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. How did he answer his enemies? God is with me. God will prosper me. Reminds me of what God told Judah in the book of Isaiah, that no weapon that is formed against them will prosper. Guess what? It's going to rise up against them. It's going to come up against them. But it's not going to work. Prevail. It's not going to prosper. It's not going to accomplish anything. Just as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, the gates of hell will come up against the church just as the gates of hell are now. All these satanic influences that are trying to infiltrate the Lord's church. The true church will prevail and the apostate church will fall. But God will preserve his true church. The true saints, the biblical Christians who hold to his truth no matter what the world says. Christ said what? The gates of hell will not prevail. They will not prosper. They will not accomplish anything. All their plans will come to nothing. Why? Because no one can stop the true church. No scheme of Satan. No scheme of man. Can prevail against the saints of God. Yes. They rise. But Paul said in Romans 8. Who can lay a charge against God's elect? No one. No one can lay an accusation against us. Why? Because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Nehemiah is basically saying the same thing. The God of heaven will make us prosper despite your opposition. And as you read forward, they're going to encounter some opposition. But that wall is still going to be built in record time. That's a spoiler alert. <laughs> it's still going to be built. Why? Because no weapon that is formed against God's people will prosper. That no one can lay a charge against God's elect. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is a thread throughout all of scripture. Going all the way back to when Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. And that nation grew from 70 people to over 2 to 3 million. And God brought them through the desert, killed off a generation of people and still brought his people into the promised land. And God still prospered his people despite their rebellion. Don't you think he's going to prosper his people in the midst of opposition that comes from outside? Of the church outside of God's covenant people. Just as these men are. Because Nehemiah said what? You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Why? Because you're not a Jew. You're not one of us. You may come up against us. But you're not one of us. You're not one of God's covenant people. That is the encouragement that we have. Even Christ faced his enemies during his earthly ministry chief among them was Satan but when did Christ overcome Satan on the cross when he crushed his head and in his resurrection when he rose from the dead defeating death the greatest opposition Christ faced was Satan himself as Christ crushed him just as it was prophesied in Genesis 3 he crushed the head of the serpent The serpent bruised his heel, but Christ crushed his head and defeated him. He defeated death. He defeated the greatest opposition of all that we all face. And because Christ defeated Satan, what do we have to fear? Because Christ defeated death, what do we have to worry about? Christ is ultimately victorious. And because he's victorious, guess what? We are too. Nehemiah knew that he had victory. Why? Because he knew the God of heaven was on his side. So gospel implications here. What do we learn about God? The main thing is that God is what? He's with us. He's always with us. He is on the side of his people. The good hand of the Lord is on you, saint. Christian, be encouraged. Lift up your head. God is with you. God is on your side. God is for you. He is for you. The world is against you. The world hates you. Don't think that the world doesn't. They may respect you. But they hate you. They hate your Christ. They hate your God. They do. They shake their proverbial fist at God. By rebelling against him. But you are from God. You are one with God because of Christ. You are united with God through Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear at all. How does this passage relate to the gospel? In in two ways. Number one, Nehemiah cared for people 800 miles away from him. He had it made. Why do he care for them? What does that do with the gospel? Christ cares for us. No matter where we are. Physically, Christ is in heaven. Spiritually, he dwells in the heart of every believer through the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah cared for people 800 miles away. He, he was a mere man. Christ cares for us Christ prays for us Christ intercedes for us Christ pleads our righteousness before the father that is great encouragement he's praying for us (laughs) you know as Paul said in Romans 8 you know the ministry of the The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. When we're weak, guess who's praying for us? Christ. He's praying for us. He's strengthening us. He's persevering us. He cares for us. Just as Nehemiah in the flesh as a mere man, he's not. Omnipresent, but he cared for his people 800 miles away. Three-month, four-month journey. How much more does Christ, who encompasses all things, who is all things, how much more does he care for us? We see a limited view of Christ in Nehemiah. Remember, Nehemiah is a type of Christ as uh, a servant of God's people just as Christ serves us as our high priest that is how this points to the gospel and again why did Nehemiah care why did Christ care why because they care for God's people Nehemiah care for God's people guess what Christ cares for all that the father has given him which is the elect he cares for the elect of God. We are God's gift to Christ. Amen. Let's uh, look at our applications here as we ready to close. Pray before we do the Lord's work which is all of work. Pray before you go to work every day. Pray Colossians 3, 20 through to 25. That's something uh, I do a lot. I used to do it even a lot more when I worked at UPS. Uh, That was the hardest work I ever did. The hardest four or five hours of my day was working at UPS, loading those those four package cars in the mornings at 1.30, 2.30, 3 3 o'clock in the morning. I needed it. Those prayers got me through those days. That was some hard work. But I pray now as I go to work. Colossians 3 is a good passage if you want to pray that scripture. But the main thing, pray before we do the Lord's work. Don't do something and then ask the Lord's blessing. <laughs> no, ask for the Lord's blessing first. Okay. Don't do it. You know, they say, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the saying? Um, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to seek permission, something like that. No, that's a that's an ungodly principle. No, you pray and yes for the Lord's help first number two get to work the hand of the Lord is upon his church and the church's people get to work get to serving in your local church get to serving the other saints just says these men they were encouraged that God was with them and guess what They said let's get to work let's strengthen our hands let's let's do it let's do this let's get it done man Let's go. Let's get to work. Seek the Lord's approval. Don't assume it. That's right. Let's get to work, man. Or Let's get to work. Number three, seek the Lord's approval. Don't assume it. Pray. Lord, do I need to do this? Lord, should I do this? Lord, should I take this job? Lord, you know, just I- anything. Seek the Lord's approval. Don't just assume it. Because you want the hand of the Lord to be upon you for good. You don't want to be where Israel was in the wilderness begging for for food when they already was getting food. Yeah, they sought the Lord, but not to his approval. And God judged them by what? Giving them that quail. That was a judgment against them. <laughs> okay, because they were already receiving food. Yeah. Oh, this manner. What is this? I'm tired of this. In Israel, we had coriander seed, or whatever, leeks and fish and, you know, steak and, you know, fruit and pomegranates and all this stuff. And here we have this here manna. Okay? God was providing for them. And guess what? They sought the Lord. But it wasn't to his approval, it was the rejection of God. And God gave them what they asked for. But it was a judgment against them. So we seek the Lord's approval. Don't, don't, don't assume it. Number three, use the resources God has given you to advance the gospel. Your mind. You can think. Your mouth. You can speak. The word of God. Your eyes. You can read. And you can pray. Those are the resources that God has given us. There's are no There are no magic tricks. There's nothing that we have to buy. There's nothing I have to sell you all. We can just use what God has given us. And then trust in the providence of God. Trust that God is governing all the affairs of your life. Trust that God is guiding you as you go through your days. You never know. Where God is leading you, and how He's doing it. So that's why we trust Him. Okay. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Your Word. Thank you for shepherding us with Your Word. Thank you, Lord, for showing us through Nehemiah how He points to Christ, and how we are to serve, how we are to work, how we are to to pray, how we are to seek You. Lord, give us wisdom as we go about our days. Lord, give us a heart to pray, to seek you through your word, to to meditate on your word, to pray, pray, and pray, to pray before, to pray to seek guidance, to seek godly counsel, biblical wisdom. And Lord, I pray also that you use this sermon. To bring sinners to repentance, to see their need of a a Savior, that they could truly become part of God's family, that they may have a right or claim to what is in Christ. Father, help us. Help us to worship you. Help us to honor you in all that we do. As we go to school, as our children prepare to go back to school this week, and as those of us who have to work go back to work. May we do it all to your glory and to your honor in a way that is pleasing to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.